let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very Looking important. The future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Kelsey Waddell, Senior Editor of Healthcare Intelligence and Multimedia Manager for Extelligent Healthcare Media. In June 2022, a group of experts with a diverse set of backgrounds collaborated on a paper called The Promise of Digital Health, Then, Now, and the Future. The discussion paper, published by the National Academy of Medicine, sought to break down the role, challenges, and future of digital health in the U.S. healthcare system. A big task. They started by establishing this definition of digital health, which will be useful for our discussion today. Digital health has evolved as a broad term encompassing electronically captured data, along with technical and communications infrastructure and applications in the healthcare ecosystem. These developments promise to drive earlier diagnoses and interventions, improve outcomes, and support more engaged patients. However, they went on to explain that obstacles have slowed digital health's progress towards these ideals. Today, we're going to discuss the goals of digital health and next steps toward realizing the promise of digital health in the U.S. healthcare industry, a necessarily broad and high-level topic, but an important one to tackle with far-ranging implications and particularly relevant as we head into a new year. Joining us today is Peter Long, Executive Vice President of Strategy and Health Solutions at Blue Shield of California. Peter also happens to be one of the co-authors of the Promise of Digital Health discussion paper. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kelsey. It's great to be with you. You know, this paper casts a pretty broad vision of a future that involves real-time generation of evidence learning and a learning health system that leverages AI and machine learning to analyze data. And I'm sure this vision is always evolving, but I'm curious if we could just start out with talking about what's the cohesive underlying goal or goals that healthcare leaders should be aiming for when they're trying to incorporate new technologies, given this vision that has been sort of cast and put forth? So I think the important thing to remember, I said digital health, as you pointed out, is a massive and evolving topic, right? So it's not and digital in the sense of all of our lives, whether it's in banking or education, is a constantly evolving capability. But it's just that. It's a capability. So I think the first tenant of what does one want to do with the digital information? What does one want to do with the information? And so I think I always think about it and what we were thinking about from the National Academy of Medicine is from digital information to insights to action, right? That's what we're really trying to do here is take a set of information, empirical information about a patient or a member of a health plan or an employee so that we know them better, right? We know what's happening with them as close to real time as we can. So kind of what's happening with you and me right now. Therefore, we can understand, huh, Peter probably needs his colonoscopy because based on the information I have, he's 55 years old, hasn't had one this year, and would benefit from having that additional information about him so then we could plan his care. So then the next step would be how do we use that to take action, right? How do we move forward and say, I have to contact Peter. I have to do it in a way that he's going to respond and he's going to take action himself. I have to set up the financial incentives to make sure that that action is easy, right? And straightforward for him. So I think the key to think about the digital kind of transformation of healthcare and and realizing its potential is to anchor it in the human, right? So it's an interesting taking the science of information and technology, 
but making sure that it's anchored in an actual person's experience. And I think that's part of what we've had a real challenge of doing in healthcare. We did the, if we build it, they will come, but we weren't really telling them, well, what are they going to come to do and why would they come and how is this going to benefit them? So I think that's the key takeaway for me in participating in this work is how do you take a capability and translate it into something that's meaningful for a, for a person, for a human? Yeah, actually, I, and this might be something that we can work towards in the conversation as well, but my, the first question that comes to mind is how to take the individual strategy, the strategy for the individual, and then take it into a much broader overarching vision for an organization, healthcare organization. I'm curious how Blue Shield of California has you know, been navigating that challenge. I know a lot of organizations have had a challenge with doing that. So can you give us some insight into what you've been testing and trying in order to make that happen, that transition from individual focus and taking those insights to shape a broader strategy. So it's interesting. We've set our sights on what we're calling an integrated health record. You've seen the movie 50 First Aid. So instead of Blue Shield, each time we interact with our members saying, huh, that's interesting that we didn't know this happened to you in some other setting. So we've been very, very focused on getting a longitudinal integrated health record for our members. Because if you think about it, that then it's a movie rather than a set of photos, right? You're seeing what's happening. And you're also then, you can do so many things when you have that because you can start to talk about how do you close care gaps if they haven't received the care that they want? How do you offer self-care, right? Things that would actually help them in programs and services. It will help us pay physicians and pay providers appropriately for the services, making sure someone needs them, right? That they're required and appropriate. So we've said the key is to get this information. We're not going to collect all of the information on a person, but thinking about their use of medical care services, prescriptions, medication use, diagnostics, laboratory results over time. And we've been set, we set a marker over the last three years of a person's life and said, if we can do that, you would see progression of chronic diseases. You would see, you know, kind of episodic things that happen, maybe injuries or others. So you'd have a picture of what's happening and then you could align your programs against that. And we've put a lot of investment in this over the last few years And we believe we've actually set a goal for that integrated health record for 40% of our members by the end of next year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I think we started this journey with zero. So 40% of 4.8 million members is quite a bit. And as I said, what's been really exciting is once we have that and we have it in a standardized form and we have it as close to real time, so getting that information fed in then you can begin to take these actions that don't feel like they're six months after the fact or 12 months that maybe we could adjust your claim or maybe we could do something administrative. If you have that information in real time, you actually can take action and, and inform providers or actually you know, speak to the member itself. So that's been our approach. It's taken a little longer. We did not go for the quick case by case by case. What we said, we believe that data is going to be the foundation or the longest tentpole in all of the things we want to do as a health plan sort of going back up to the high level again here. In the paper, you and your co-authors said that in spite of the heavy investments that payers and other stakeholders have put into digital health, the promise of digital health remains illusory. And so I was wondering, and I think we've kind of touched on a couple already, but what are some of the barriers that present themselves preventing digital health solutions from taking hold and really making good on that promise? Multi-payer alignment. If you had one thing we could do, so multi-payer meaning the government, the major health plans, employers, who all align on standardized definitions. It sounds kind of technical and boring, but what's the definition? We have examples, and it's kind of the dropping a pebble 
in the water creates the rings that creates the tsunami around the world. If you're slightly different and someone is measuring your hemoglobin A1C levels in a particular range, and then someone does it slightly differently, and then two health plans, one sets a target of poorly controlled blood glucose and one sets a target of well-controlled, right? And they set one is at eight and one is at six. And, and then you could imagine that goes on and on and on. And that's how we end up with 1,300 approved quality measures from the <laughs> Medicare and Medicaid services. You know, standardization has been great. The Office of National Coordinator, we have created the places to get from, you know, city A to city B in the United States. We're not driving that data out to someone's home in the rural area, you know, 20 miles away from it, because we haven't been even more specific about we're all going to get aligned on our definitions. We're going to get aligned on the transmission of this data. So we created just quite a few. It's you know, super highways that at the highest level, yes, we transfer information, but we haven't gotten to the point where it's fully usable and fully automated and you know, driving that forward. It's interesting. I think it's partly a skill issue of the hard work of mapping these things. And I do think it's partly a will issue because I do think we have, obviously, there are privacy concerns and there are lots of a regulatory environment built up around it. I believe as the you know, wealthiest country in the world, we could figure out how you would safely transmit information for the purposes of improving a person's health. So it does feel that that's eluded us. And I do think that really stymies. So some of the regulatory environment, some of that we have actually not set our standards, some of that we don't have multi-pair alignment. So I think we need a conversation in the country about what are we going to compete on, right? So what would you compete on as a health plan? Mm. Right now, we're actually competing on access to data, right, in some sense, because we all hold the data <laughs> and you know certain things, but you're not transmitting on the behalf of your member or that patient. Um, so as I said, I think there's a number of different levels of what it works. The reality is, as I said, we have lots of data. We are moving that data, but it's not leading to insight. And the way, because it takes so long to get to the final destination and it's probably not in a usable form, it doesn't lead to action. Mm. Yeah, I mean... It makes a lot of sense that the thing that's holding us back is not actually innovating new technologies. The thing that's holding us back is often coordinating between all of these different stakeholders and their competing interests and figuring out how to preserve that competition, but not at the cost of the patient and, and their access to digital health and healthcare in general. And then I would say just to add one more add to it is we have a notion and Blue Shield does not share this notion. There is a notion in the healthcare world that we somehow own a person's data. Mm. And I think we are an outlier as an industry. So it is if you own the grades, my children in school, like <laughs> as if the school owned the grades of how they did, right? So think about it. You request a transcript to do anything at your school. Those are your grades or your performance review or whatever in, in any other setting. So I do think there is a fundamentally flawed notion in the healthcare system that the data is not the members to take with them to learn. We have created a sense of that we need to curate that data. We need to hold it safe for them or from them. We can debate which preposition you want to use, but the, the result is the same. So I do think that fundamental mindset, the industry of once we get the data, we collect it and we're going to do great things with it, not that it's actually the members' data and our job is to help them interpret it and help them take action. So I think that's a big shift, even probably bigger than how we compete. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, in light of this challenge and the even other challenges that we haven't touched on in the brief amount of time we have for this conversation, what do you foresee as some of the major digital health goals that payers and healthcare stakeholders should be prioritizing right now? So I would say one is digital to actual outcomes. That will break the paradigm of one of the complaints in healthcare and why we've always had process measures is because we haven't had the data. So I think having access to much more data that is portable 
we should drive and use that to actually drive outcomes and to measure, did a person's self-reported health status get better? Could they play tennis after a shoulder surgery? So I think that will be a quantum breakthrough and people will say, well, this is fundamentally different than why we've collected all the data in the past. Because if you stay in that enclosed system, we can get more and more and more data, but if it's all just process oriented, just to pay bills or just to pay claims, that doesn't excite people, right? There's no, and it doesn't bring in the public. It doesn't bring in people to become advocates for more data. In fact, it just says, wow, that feels pretty opaque to me. And now they're going to start using artificial intelligence and machine learning. That just makes me nervous. That doesn't make me excited. That makes me really nervous. So I'd say the number one would be to use the data. And there's some really interesting ideas out there. You could correlate with now with big data and machine learning and analytics, you can correlate some of the things we do readily collect information on with other outcome measures that are actually important to people. I mean, lots of other companies outside of healthcare do that all the time, right? Amazon and other big companies use data, at, you know, proximal data points or proximal digital information to say, yeah, that person's really happy because they brought six more products the next day or they continue to do by the volume. So I think there's ways to do it. The second, I think, imperative in the country is to understand our population better. And by that, I mean, yes, equity, racial and ethnic differences, language differences, disability and ability differences, sexual orientation, gender identity. Understanding who we are better will dramatically increase the quality of care that we receive. So I'd say the second key is a deepening of our understanding of the complexity of humans and who they are and then targeting those interventions to be much more precise and appropriate, whether they're culturally appropriate, linguistically appropriate, geographically appropriate, that will be exponentially right. Think about that. If you felt like someone actually knows you and knows who you are and your history, you're going to be a lot more receptive to take action or, you know, or respond to their suggestions or their recommendations for action. So I'd put those two as the first. One is just, as I said, it will be a quantum breakthrough in why we're using the information. And then the second, I think, will address the biggest deficit we have in healthcare, which is trust. So the sense is if we use digital information to understand people and tell them that we understand them better, they're going to be a lot more likely to trust the solutions we have and come with us on the journey as we try to support their health. Makes a lot of sense. And actually, I wanted to return to the previous question very quickly, talking about not owning the data. And I wondered if we could just dig in a little bit more about what does that look like in practice? to have that mentality and how does that change or shape the way that a company approaches digital health? So when we build this integrated health record, so sure, there are a number of uses of risk adjustment, just being understanding how sick your patients are, care gap closure. Those are really helpful. One of the use cases, and it's actually at the top, is member use of the data. So giving the member in a format that's accessible, like understandable, intelligible, not some very complex thing, but very simply this is all of your information. You can now take it to your provider if you'd like. You can take it, you can pour, you know, wherever you want, and we'll keep updating it and help you interpret it so that you truly are managing your own healthcare. So the other thing that we put in place as a corollary to that and to show our members that we're serious is um, shared decision-making. So because the other big issue is if the health plan takes the data, holds it, and makes a number of decisions that affect others without really making that transparent, it's a dissatisfier, I think, in the, in the healthcare industry. So if you couple together, this is your information, we're actually making it available in a portal, it'll be secure, you, though, can use it. And then second, when you do go to use it and use services, we're going to flip the decision-making from us as a plan to you and your provider. And so those are our two 
they, they're anchoring philosophies and programs that counterbalance the tendency to say, hey, we're going to take all that data and manage it and do great things. <laughs> um, those are two ways to do it. And so they seem relatively straightforward and simplistic, but they're pretty powerfully different than the way it happens today. Yeah, and I bet that really shapes member trust too, which has been difficult to achieve in the health insurance industry, slowly creeping up there. But I, I'm sure that giving them that agency goes a long way in that respect as well. So I just wanted to close out. We've been talking this whole season about health equity and how each of these conversations across healthcare stakeholders that we bring on to the show has health equity implications, that it touches every area of the industry. And so when it comes to digital health, there's a lot of innovation happening. There's a lot being pushed out there. But my question is, how should payers and health stakeholders more generally ensure that digital health innovation advances and does not further threaten health equity in the U.S.? Well, first, I would say, if left to its own devices, it would become more inequitable. We've seen that for many innovations. I think the digital advancements and then even artificial intelligence and machine learning, I'll come back to in a second, but the kind of momentum would actually be to create greater inequity without intervention. So I think health plans, actors, stakeholders, government need to do three things. First is to set an explicit goal so that you have to have a goal that you want to achieve greater equity. And you can name the dimensions. I think we should be more explicit and more expansive than we historically have been. But, you know, so you have to name that as a goal. Second, you have to collect data. And again, there are challenges about collecting race and ethnicity data, maybe language and others, but you have to make that a priority because if you don't understand it, then you won't know how you're progressing towards your goal and you, you really can't move forward. And then the third, I think that's probably a little less explored. It's been out in the literature, but not in the world. As we move to artificial intelligence and machine learning solutions where there's no human involved, you really have to be careful about bias because most of the models actually look at your previous, how much care you use in the past. So if you're a population that's actually not historically not had access to care, you're going to then say, oh, they don't need care as much, or, oh, we're going to focus on those high utilizers who may have been white and well-resourced or higher socioeconomic status. So there's a number of academics who are working on that. We've actually brought them in at Blue Shield to look at our models and make sure where, you know, one, the most obvious, obvious, the previous use bias is one that comes up a lot, but there are actually quite a few others around geography, around what program you're on, what line of business or type of insurance you have, whether it's Medicaid or Medicare. So I think if you do those three things, set an explicit goal, get the data, make sure you actually have the data and you can parse your data by a number of different dimensions. And three is to look at those places where you have blind spots or that potentially you don't have good insight into what's happening and ensure that you're putting safeguards in place to make that work. Thank you. Great. Well, that is unfortunately all the time that we have today, but thank you so much, Peter, for these insights and for coming on to Healthcare Strategies today. Thank you, Kelsey. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Listeners, we would love to hear your insights on this topic as well. So if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share or any questions or topics that you think that we should cover in future episodes, please reach out to me at kwadill at intelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at intelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. And also don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening. This has been an Excelligent Healthcare Media production. 